Well, as I, I mentioned already, we're starting a new series tonight. As you can see from the handout, it is called Jesus, a man like us. For the benefit of those from Milford, we just had our weekend here in Letterkenny. Robert Robb was speaking and we were thinking about Colossians chapter 1, uh, specifically the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ. And Robert had no idea whatsoever that I was going to be starting this series um, this evening. But I can't help but feel he picked a very appropriate verse. There in Colossians 1 verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. And we thought about, especially on Friday night, how Jesus is the exact likeness of God. In other words, if you want to know what does God look like, well, all you have to do is look at Jesus. And over the next few um, Sabbath evenings, we're going to be looking at Jesus. And that means we're going to be looking at the invisible God. And so one of the things I'd like to do tonight, before we get started, is to help us grasp something of the privilege that every one of us has. So what I'd like you to do is to think about your favourite character from the Old Testament. Maybe it's David, maybe it's Abraham or Moses or Elijah. Whoever it is, I'm guessing it is someone who has experienced great fellowship with God. Maybe it's someone who has received great prophecies from God or someone who has spoken with God. Well, tonight, you have something that he or she did not have because they never saw Jesus. If I could illustrate it like this, perhaps, it's not an exact parallel. The illustration does fall down a bit, but if you were to think back a number of decades to before the Hubble Space Telescope or before the Voyager probes that have travelled through the galaxy, and there were plenty of astronomers, very, very smart people, and they made all sorts of discoveries about the solar system. They knew how many planets there are. They knew about what the planet's orbits were like. They knew all sorts of stuff like that. One thing they didn't have was detailed pictures of all of the planets. Now I have to admit I am almost entirely ignorant whenever it comes to space. I can go onto Google anytime I want and I can see high resolution pictures, whether it's Saturn's rings or the red spot on Jupiter. I can have my breath taken away by the mountain ranges that are on Mars wonder could we say that David and Abraham and these men and women in the Old Testament, in one sense, it's almost like they were living before these great telescopes. It's not that they were ignorant about what God was like, but they didn't have the high-definition pictures that we do. They knew, yes, God is going to save us. He's going to send a saviour, but... 
that's a bit like looking at Jupiter with the naked eye. It's distant and it's hazy and you don't know all of the details. It's different for us, isn't it? Whenever we read the Gospels, it is like having the Hubble Space Telescope beaming its HD pictures back to Earth. We get to see something that David and Abraham and Moses never got to see. The image of the invisible God. And as we grasp that, shouldn't we have even more reason than these men and women to trust God and to worship God? Over the next few weeks, as we look at Jesus, I hope that we trust God and we worship God even more. And if I could tweak the metaphor a little bit, for the next few weeks, we are going to be going on a tour of an art gallery. It's full of pictures. Pictures that take your breath away. Pictures that brilliantly capture the glory of God. And every single one of these pictures is a snapshot from the life of Jesus. And every single one of them gives us a glimpse of the invisible God. What are we going to do when we come to each of these pictures? Hopefully, we're going to simply do what art lovers do when they come to an art gallery. We're just going to stop. We're going to look. And we're going to marvel. Well, tonight, we're, we're not quite in the gallery yet. I suppose you could say we're in the foyer. And before we get to look at the pictures, we need to get our bearings. So tonight, we're not going to be focusing on a particular passage. We'll start that next week. What we are going to do is try to get a bird's eye view of what the Bible says about Jesus, uh, just to make sure that, that we're on the right tracks. And there are two main things I want to say tonight. In some ways, they're very, very simple. They're so simple, a child could understand them. And yet, at exactly the same time, They're so profound that a professor of theology could never fully get it. And these two things, they're summed up in the Shorter Catechism. Question 21. Who is the Redeemer of God's elect? The only Redeemer of God's elect is the Lord Jesus Christ, who being the eternal Son of God, became man. And so was and continues to be God and man in two distinct natures and one person forever. Jesus is God and he's man. He's not half God and half man. He's not God with a little bit of man uh, clipped onto the side. He is God and he is man in two natures and one person. It's simple. And yet, it's also a mystery. It shows you the glory of Christ, doesn't it? That something so fundamental to the way in which he redeemed us is so totally beyond our ability to comprehend. He's God and he's man. So let's unpack it a little bit. First of all, Jesus is fully God. 
Jesus is fully God. I don't plan to dwell on this particular point, partly because we've just spent a whole weekend thinking about those verses in Colossians. Uh, We've got Colossians 1 and verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. I want you to imagine the head of a pin. Did you know that you could fit five million hydrogen atoms on the head of a pin and then you could fit another five million on and then another five million on and you could do that a million more times and only then would you fill the head of the pin and as we thought with Robert Christ holds all five million million of those atoms together not to mention all of the billions and trillions of atoms inside this room not even to mention all the protons and neutrons and electrons and everything that makes up those atoms now imagine the sun it's big enough to fit the earth inside it 1.3 million times the largest known star in the universe is apparently five billion times the volume of the sun. Think about that crazy number we thought about with the young people this morning in Letterkenny. And Christ holds that enormous star and all of the 100 billion stars that are in every single one of the 10 billion galaxies in the universe. He holds them together. And As we've already considered this weekend, if that is the God that Christ is, how could we possibly need anybody else? How could we possibly face a challenge that is going to leave our saviour stumped? He is fully God. But then the second point, Jesus is fully man. Colossians tells us, by him all things were created. Those galaxies in heaven, those protons and neutrons in earth. He tells us, in him all things hold together. The sun holds together. It's 5,000 degrees hot. Those molecular structures that you can't even see with a microscope, Jesus holds them together. And as you keep that in mind, listen to this. Philippians chapter 2. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Isn't that incredible? I wonder, have you ever seen um, 
you'll, you'll think I'm space mad after saying this, but have you ever seen, it's a very famous photo, and it's called Pale Blue Dot, and it was taken by the Voyager space probe. It was just about to cross the boundary of our solar system, and it was almost 4 billion miles away from Earth, and it was programmed to turn back and take a photo. And you have to look very, very closely at this photo, but right there, amidst the darkness, is a tiny, tiny blue dot. At least I think it's blue. It's really only the size of a pixel on a computer screen. Well, it's the Earth. And it's a very famous and a very well-loved picture because it reminds us, in spite of everything that's going on in this Earth, all the wars everything that's going on we're just this tiny wee dot in the midst of the galaxy I want you to imagine travelling through space towards this tiny blue dot and then as you reach it going to a small little town in the Middle East and then going to an ordinary house inside that town and there in a manger in that ordinary house in that small town on that tiny blue dot is the one who holds all of the galaxies together he made himself nothing he didn't make himself nothing by losing anything or taking anything away he made himself nothing By becoming a man. And as we're going to see in the next number of weeks. Jesus is just as much a human being as you or me. Well there's a few clarifications I want to make. Just to to make sure we're in the right tracks. As we go through this series. I'm not going to read all the verses on the sheet. Those are there for you to look up if you want. Whenever you get home. But here are several ways in which Jesus is fully man. First of all, he has a human body. Of course, we know this, don't we? Jesus was born just like any other human. And I'm sure that Christ's childbirth, it was just as bloody and just as messy as any other childbirth. We see John chapter 4, Jesus getting wearied whenever he does a lot of travelling. We see in Matthew 4, Jesus getting hungry. We see him being thirsty in John chapter 19. I don't have this one on the sheet, but Luke chapter 23. We see Jesus being so, so weak from being beaten and scourged that he didn't even have the strength to carry his own cross. If you were to bump into Jesus on the street, you would have no idea whatsoever that he was anything other than a normal man. He had eyes and ears and arms and legs. He bled. He got blisters. He had tummy bugs. He had headaches. He had to go to bed. If I can say it reverently, he had to go to the bathroom. He had a totally normal human body. Second thing, he had a human mind. And this is where maybe 
we start to find things a little bit hard to grasp. I'm sure very few of you have watched this movie, but The Matrix is one of these movies that's on TV every so often. It's set way off in the future, set in a time when technology, if I can simplify it, is so advanced, it's hard to know where the technology starts and where human beings end. And the characters in The Matrix, they're able to learn anything. And I mean anything. All you have to do to learn something is to get yourself plugged in to the computer. And there's a scene in The Matrix where one of the characters needs to fly a helicopter. Problem being, he's never even been in a helicopter before. So he just plugs his brain into the computer. He downloads the file that's marked helicopter pilot. And before you know it, he's flying around. I wonder, is that how we sometimes imagine Jesus? That because he's God, and because God knows everything, Jesus has this huge big database that he can just log into. And he can have all of the information and all of the knowledge that he could possibly want. It's not what we see in the Gospels. Luke chapter 2. He increased in wisdom. He didn't know it all. Hebrews 5. He learned obedience. Mark chapter 13. He's speaking about when he comes again to earth. And he says, I don't know the day of my return. Have you ever thought about how we have a saviour who whenever he was a child, had to learn how to talk. He had to learn how to read and write. We have a saviour who woke up and he didn't know everything that was going to happen to him on that day. Jesus has a human mind. Then the third thing, he has a human soul and human emotions. Uh, We thought in the evening service last week in Letterkenny, about Gethsemane. And remember what Jesus said in the garden. He said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow. That can't be a divine soul, can it? Being overwhelmed. That's a human soul. And think about how Jesus marveled at the faith of the centurion in Matthew 8. Think about how he wept whenever Lazarus died in John chapter 11. I can use another movie reference. Probably just as many people have seen Terminator as have seen The Matrix. But Arnold Schwarzenegger in Terminator. He's a cyborg. He's sent to kill. And he's this almost indestructible robot. And he's designed to look just like a human on the outside. But inside, he's wires and he's metal and he's indestructible. And In Terminator, he gets shot, he gets stabbed, he gets a pull cue smashed across his face. And none of that slows him down. All of these bullets just bounce straight off him. He never, ever gets hurt. And again, I wonder is that how we sometimes imagine Jesus? Think about some of the things we know about Jesus' life. People accused him 
fairly constantly, I think, of being an illegitimate child. His own siblings dismissed him, didn't believe him. One of his very, very best friends betrayed him. Do we imagine Jesus walking around, a bit like Arnold Schwarzenegger in Terminator, and all of this stuff just bounces right off him, and he never, ever gets hurt? Surely not. Surely those things must have hurt Jesus deeply. Because they hurt us. And Jesus is a man like us. Final thing I want to do tonight, we've thought about, I suppose, the the facts. Jesus is God. Jesus is man. I want us to ask, why does it matter that Jesus is God and man? First reason, because he represents us. I'm not going to elaborate on that. Robert did speak about Romans chapter 5 yesterday, I think. But Jesus had to be a man in order to represent us, just as Adam was a man and represented us in Eden. Second reason, because Jesus is our sacrifice. The Bible tells us we've sinned, tells us that is incredibly serious. It tells us that is so serious that somebody has to be punished. And the punishment for sin is facing death as part of God's judgment. It's incredible, of course, that it's part of God's will to send Jesus to take the punishment we deserve. Of course, the problem is God can't die, can he? That would be incompatible with the very idea of being God. But the man, Jesus Christ, he can die. And so over the next few weeks, as we think about these different portraits from the life of Christ, let's keep at the front of our minds, Jesus became a man like us so he could die in our place. Third reason, so Jesus can be the mediator between God and man. Again, I'm not going to comment on this one, but we're told in 1 Timothy There is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. If we were ever to be reconciled to God, Jesus needed to be a real man. Fourth reason, to be our example. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 2 tells us, To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you, An example that you should follow in his steps. How are we to pray? How are we to worship? How are we to treat other people? How are we to treat money and possessions? How are we to respond to temptation? Well, we follow in Christ's footsteps. And as we look at these portraits of Christ, we're going to see nuggets from his life of how we respond to the same circumstances. And then the fifth reason. It matters because Jesus is our great high priest. One of the jobs of a priest in the Old Testament 
was to pray for the people. And we're told in Hebrews, Jesus is our high priest. Jesus is the one who intercedes for us. And in chapter 4 and verse 15, we read, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way. Just as we are. Yet was without sin. Jesus came from a poor family. He knows what it's like to have to scrimp and save to make ends meet. Jesus' father died relatively early on. And Lazarus died. Jesus knows what it's like to suffer bereavement. It seems like Jesus may well have taken on Joseph's mantle in terms of providing for the family. He knows what it's like to have the weight of caring for other people pressing down on his shoulders. Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted. He knows what it's like to be exhausted. He knows what it's like to be lonely. He knows the pressures of being a single man. He has been insulted. He has been rejected. He has been betrayed and mocked. He has heard people gossiping about him behind his back. Young people, Jesus knows what it's like to have mean brothers and sisters. He knows what it's like to really struggle with his spellings whenever he's learning to read. He knows what it's like to sometimes not understand the big words that other people use. He can sympathise with our weaknesses. Whenever I was training to be a minister, uh, the one thing that really frightened me more than anything else, and I think it still is the one thing that really frightens me more than anything, is what do you say when something really, really bad happens? When someone is diagnosed with a terrible sickness, or there's a sudden tragic bereavement, or there's some ongoing awful family situation. Because the fact is, you know, I'm a young man, and my life has not been particularly bad at all. And I suppose it's something we'll just have to accept. Sometimes I will pastor you, sometimes Mark will, and we won't have the faintest idea of how much it hurts to be in your situation. Jesus does. He's been there. He has plumbed the very depths of pain and suffering. You do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with your weakness. Like I say, we're starting this new series. You could ask the question, why? Why are we going to spend the next few weeks looking at Jesus, a man like us? Well, because it lets us see God. Because it drives us to worship. Because it drives us to trust and to understand, I have this great high priest and he understands me. 
But best of all, and this ties in so well to what Robert was saying this morning, as we start this tour of the art gallery, and as we look at these portraits of Jesus, there's a sense, isn't there, in which they're not portraits at all. They're mirrors. We look at Jesus and we see our own weakness reflecting back and not our sin, our weakness, our tiredness, our hurts. We don't just see weakness though, do we? We see Christ's godliness. And maybe you're thinking, well, that's not a good reflection of what I am like. But it is a reflection of what you're being made into. And the Holy Spirit is shaping us so that we take on the look and the characteristics more and more of Jesus, our Saviour. We're told in Romans chapter 8, that is God's purpose. Those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. And then there's our great hope in 1 John chapter 3. On the day when Jesus comes back, we won't just have a few portraits in the gallery to see what he's like. But we will see Jesus himself in the flesh. What a day that'll be. And more than that, we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. These portraits are mirrors. They don't show us exactly what we're like now. But they do show us what God is doing in us. And they also show us what one day, by God's grace, we will be. That is why we're going to be studying Jesus, a man like us. Well... Keep your seats, we'll pray. Our Father, we thank you for these twin truths that we see in your word, that Jesus is fully God and also fully man. And we confess, Father, that we cannot comprehend just how those two facts fit together. We confess that our minds are too puny, too small, too unable to understand this incredible truth. But Father, nonetheless, we praise you. We praise you because your ways are higher than our ways. We praise you because we do have a saviour who is both fully God and fully man. Father, we praise you because Christ has a human body. We praise you because he knows what it is like to be weak and to be tired and to be sick and to face all of those pressures. We praise you because Christ has a human mind. He knows what it's like to have to learn things for the very first time. He knows what it's like to have that understanding limited by his own human capacity. Father, we praise you because Christ has a human soul and human emotions. We praise you because he knew what it was like to be anguished and overwhelmed and sorrowful as he went on a path towards the cross for us. 
Father, we praise you because we do not have a great high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weakness. We praise you because we have a high priest who was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Father, how we thank you for Jesus Christ, our Saviour. And we thank you in his name. Amen.